Let's then turn together to our text this morning, which will be taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. attention to the entire chapter of 1 Thessalonians 1 this morning. Hear then the word of God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, For ye received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So far from our text this morning. Beloved, Brothers and sisters of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, I'm sure that almost every sermon that you've heard has begun with those same few familiar words, beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you were to look at the first few verses of our text this morning, you'd see that Paul and his companions begin their letter in a similar way. They say there in verse 1, to the church of the Thessalonians, In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this really is a beautiful way to begin a sermon. It's a beautiful way to begin a letter because it starts by defining who this group of people is. If you were to take a moment and look around at everybody gathered here this morning, and if you were to ask yourself the question, what is it that really unites us here together? What is it that defines us as a group of people? You know, sure, we have many cultural similarities, many similar practices. But at the very bottom, the fundamental thing which defines us as a group of people here is that we are a people who find their salvation in Jesus Christ. We are a congregation who looks only to our Lord and Savior for salvation. And in addition to that, The way that we begin a sermon, it reminds us that we have not gathered ourselves here together this morning, but rather God Almighty, through his Son, Jesus Christ, has gathered us together. Jesus Christ, by his word, by his spirit, 
has worked faith in our hearts, and he is the one who has, who has gathered us here as his congregation. And it's he who continues to defend and preserve this church, this body of believers. And all of these things which we've said about ourselves, we could equally say about the Thessalonian church in our text this morning. God the Father, his Son Jesus Christ, had gathered that church together. They had powerfully worked in them with the Holy Spirit so that their faith was visible. God worked in those Thessalonian believers in such a way that not only did they have this strong faith, but they they lived out that faith and people all around them could see that God was gathering his church in that city of Thessalonica. And it's for this reason that when Paul and his companions begin this letter, they're just overflowing with thanksgiving to God for the church gathering work he is doing. And so as we work through our text this morning, we too will be given great reason to give thanksgiving to God for the church gathering work which he does also here among us. And so our theme for this morning is this, give thanks to God for his church gathering work. And we'll have two points. First, he does this work in us. And then secondly, he does this work through us. So first point, he does this work in us. And so having begun their letter by greeting the Thessalonian church, by reminding them in verse 1 that they are in God and in Jesus Christ, Paul and his companions, as we've seen, they immediately direct their thanksgiving to God as well. It says in verse 2, that whenever they pray to God, they are always mentioning the Thessalonian believers in prayer because they're so thankful for the work that God has done in their midst. Paul and his companions have witnessed the growth of this Thessalonian church from the very beginning, and they're overflowing with thanksgiving. They know that God is working in that city. Maybe you ask yourself, well, how do Paul and And Sylvanus and Timothy, how do they actually know so confidently that God is at work there? Well, Paul points to the evidence in verse 3. They're constantly thanking God in their prayers, and what are they giving thanks to while they're remembering before God? Their work of faith, and their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe those... Those three terms are somewhat familiar to you. Those terms, faith, love, and hope. Those are three Christian virtues which Scripture praises elsewhere as some of the fundamental markers of a Christian church and a Christian believer. If you think of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, where it says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love, and also in the letter to the Colossians. Paul is so thankful that the believers there show these virtues. And also here in the Thessalonian church, they're displaying faith, hope, and love. And it's actually quite remarkable that they are. Because this Thessalonian congregation, they were a relatively new congregation. We read a little bit about their history in Acts chapter 17. Paul and his companions had come to Thessalonica... Paul had gone to the synagogue for for three Sabbaths in a row. But as soon as he was finished those three weeks, then those angry Jews managed to chase him out of the city. And yet here in this letter to the Thessalonians, a letter which Paul and his companions have written only a few months 
after their time in Thessalonica. He is already praising them for showing all these Christian virtues in their life. And what is Paul's response to that? Well, he overflows in thanksgiving to God because God is the one who had worked in that congregation. The Thessalonians received that word and they received it with joy because God was at work in them. And it was so evident that God was at work in them that their lives, they just begin to completely change. You can think again of what we read in Acts chapter 17 when the Jews drag Jason before the city authorities. What do they say? They say these men have come here preaching and they're turning the world upside down. You know, the message that Paul was proclaiming, the, the things that the Thessalonian believers were doing were so different what was being expected. It was as if things had been just turned on their heads, upside down. The Thessalonian believers were showing clearly in their lives that God was at work in them. And it's for this reason also that if you look closely at verse 3, it's not only faith, love, and hope that Paul mentions there. But he adds these few descriptors. He says he's thankful to God for their work of faith and for their labor of love and for their steadfastness of hope. What we see here is that these three virtues are things that are seen practically in the lives of believers. God had worked in that Thessalonian church and it was seen, it was visible. You could tell that something was happening in that congregation. And so what exactly was happening? Well, let's think about these three terms that Paul uses. And the first of those is the work of faith. Now, if you think of faith congregation, and if I were to ask you, where does faith come from? Then what would the answer to that be? Where does faith come from? Well, we know and we confess in the Catechism, that faith, first of all, comes from the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who works faith in our hearts. God first comes to you and works that faith in your heart. But we know, congregation, that when God works faith in your heart, your life will start to show that there is faith present. And that will start to be seen in what Paul refers to here as work of faith. Faith will be seen in in the fruit that faith bears, works which we do out of thankfulness to God for the way that he has worked in our lives, works which show our thankfulness to God for the great grace he has shown to us. And if I were to ask you one more question this morning, we're thinking about works of thankfulness. What perhaps is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Surely the catechism students not that long ago have memorized Lord's Day 45, and it teaches there that the most important part of our thankfulness is prayer to God. Prayer. You know, when God works faith in your heart, and then you go looking for works of thankfulness, perhaps the first evidence that there is faith in your heart is that you cry out to God in prayer, thanking him for working such faith in your heart. Communion 
with God, building that relationship with God. It's the first work of thankfulness we do. And of course, closely related to that is communion with God through his holy word, which he has given. And I'm sure if I were to survey the congregation this morning and ask you what kind of desires you have in your heart in terms of your relationship with God, I'm sure that you have a strong desire to be in prayer. And I'm sure that you have a strong desire to be in the Word of God, building that relationship. And if I were to ask you this morning, where is one area in your life that you wish you could grow a little bit? Probably at the top of many of our lists would be our devotional life. We desire that relationship with God. And this is reason, first of all, for thanksgiving. We can give thanks to God that we have a desire in our hearts to be in his word, to be in prayer. Because such a desire would never arise in your heart congregation if God had not first come to you and put it there. You would have no desire to pray to God. You would have no desire to read his word for your benefit if the Holy Spirit was not in your heart working that desire in you. And where does that come from? Well, it's come from only one place. It's come from God the Father. And yet at the same time, congregation, I think we know how challenging it can be sometimes to follow through on this desire we have to be in devotion to God. We know, we know how much God wants us to be in communion with him. We even know some of the blessing and the joy which comes from being in devotion to God. We've experienced it in our lives before. But it's one of those things that just doesn't come automatically to us. You know, our sinful nature, it always resists We're always tempted by distraction. How many distractions don't fill our lives today and take us away from the word of God and from prayer. And so if we are going to have a consistent, if we are going to have a rewarding life of devotion to God, then that is going to take a little bit of effort on our part. That's going to take some some work Paul and his companions are saying this is the work which comes out of faith and it's something to pursue. And so what would that look like, congregation? What would it look like for you this morning to pursue that life of devotion which you desire in your heart but which sometimes is so hard to to grasp? You know, what would you have to, to give up to spend more time in the word? How would you have to adjust your schedule to spend more time in prayer? Who is there in your life who can keep you accountable in your life of devotion? We begin by giving thanks to God for working that faith in our hearts and then we take that faith and we work it out in our lives. This is what God desires for us. And it's what Paul saw in the Thessalonian congregation, in their work of faith. And he moves on from there, and he speaks then about this labor of love. Labor of love. If you were to look up the term labor in an English dictionary, it would be defined as something like 
work or especially hard physical work. And that does capture something of what Paul is getting at here when he speaks about this labor of love. When God works faith in our hearts, and when he works faith in the hearts of fellow believers, then that will start to be seen also in the way that we might serve one another. Service which at times could be compared to toilsome labor. Work and labor which might tire you out physically or mentally as you serve one another. And so don't be afraid, congregation, to serve your brothers and sisters in challenging ways. Ways that require real effort on your part. And when you see that happening in this congregation, then that too is reason for thanksgiving. Because that didn't come from yourself, that came from God, who is at work gathering the church and who is at work strengthening that faith in you. And Paul goes on and he mentions one more thing, that steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And just briefly, Paul here is referring to when believers encounter trial, when they encounter suffering. You know, what's your default response when you experience a hardship in your life? Is it despair and anger? Or is your gaze set so fully on your Lord Jesus Christ and is your hope so firm in him that there is nothing that can separate you from his love, knowing that even these trials are refining you for the glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ? And so those are these three virtues which Paul is speaking about in the Thessalonian church. And as he goes on, he goes in verse 4, to speak about God's love for this church and of God's choosing these Thessalonian believers. And Paul's language is getting increasingly strong here, but it's not surprising. He says in verse 4, We know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. And how does Paul know that God has chosen them? Well, he's already given us some of the evidence. We saw how God is working in this church in verse 3, because they are showing the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. And it's because of this love that God has, in fact, chosen them. And if you were to dig down a little bit, congregation, into this word chosen in our text, you would find out that it's actually the same word which the Bible translates elsewhere as elect or election. What Paul is saying here is that what he sees in the Thessalonian church makes him confident that they are among the elect of God. And how can he say that? Well, he's given us evidence in verse 3, and he goes on here in verse 5, and he says that he knows God loves them and has chosen them because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. When Paul and his companions preached the gospel in Thessalonica, you could see God at work. The gospel came with power. It transformed their lives. They began to bear fruit. And so Paul, he's not saying anything strange here. He's just drawing the obvious conclusion. What he sees happening is a work of God. And if God is at work, then God 
loves those people and he has chosen them. And you know, congregation, the simple fact that we here are gathered together this morning, the fact that we are all assembled here as people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, people who seek to serve him and who seek to serve our neighbor, this is evidence that God also loves us. This is evidence that God has chosen us to be his people. You know, if there's faith in your heart, and if you see some of that faith working itself out in your life, even if only in that small beginning way, and when you see that same thing happening to the people sitting beside you in the pew this morning, then you can be assured that this is because of the love of God. Because God loved you so much that he set his electing and choosing love upon you. And perhaps this sounds a little bit incredible this morning that you sitting here this morning could be even assured that God has chosen you and that he has elected you. And perhaps that's a step too far, you might think. But I would encourage you to open with me briefly just to our confession, the Canons of Dort, to learn what it teaches there about the assurance of election. If you go to page 567 of your book of praise, we have a confession there of what we believe we can be assured of. And it says in Article 12, on page 567, that the elect in due time though in various stages and in different measure, are made certain of this, their eternal and unchangeable election to salvation. They attain this assurance, however, not by inquisitively prying into the hidden and deep things of God, but by observing in themselves of spiritual joy and holy delight the unfailing fruits of election pointed out in the word of God, such as a true faith in Jesus Christ, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for their sins, and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And as you read that Article 2 congregation, you notice that there's not a certain amount of fruit that's required. The canons don't say you need a certain level of faith. You don't need just the right amount of godly sorrow for sin. You You don't need to have just enough zeal to be sure of your salvation. No, We would not experience a hint of any of these things if God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, was not working in your life. Never would you see any fruit of election. Never would you see any faith, any sorrow for sin, any zeal for righteousness unless God, in his love, had come to you by his Holy Spirit to work that in your heart. And so we don't need to ever be in in doubt of salvation, congregation. But we can direct our thanksgiving to God. Because he has chosen us. And because we can see that working itself out in faith. And what is the response? Well, the response is thanksgiving to God. For the work that he is doing, gathering his church. And in our text... 
Paul goes on to speak about how this was actually working out in his own life. Together with Silvanus and Timothy, he reminds the Thessalonian believers of their conduct among them in verse 5. The end of verse 5, Paul says, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. What kind of men did they prove to be? Well, they were men who endured affliction. We read a lot about that in Acts chapter 17, the affliction Paul and his companions received from the Jews. And now here in verse 6, this is what Paul is getting at. He says to the Thessalonians, You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. The Thessalonians could also see that God was truly working through Paul because he was preaching the gospel despite affliction. And it's here, too, that the Thessalonian church once again excelled themselves. They, like Paul and his companions, were receiving the word even though they were being afflicted by the Jews. And how could they do it? Now, how could they receive the preaching of God's word with joy even though there was such affliction? Well, Paul says in verse 6, they received the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus Christ, together with God the Father, had gathered that church together in Thessalonica, had come to them, and the power of the Holy Spirit was working in them. And so even though they were facing affliction, there was joy. Because they knew that God had come to them in power. They knew that God had chosen them to be his people. And that is indeed also a great comfort for us, congregation. Because we too know that a life of faith consists of trial. And we at times wonder when the time in our nation will come where serious suffering might be the result of being a Christian believer. But we can take comfort in the fact that just as God has begun a good work in us, just as we see God working in this congregation by the power of his Holy Spirit, we can be sure he will continue to work that out even in the midst of suffering or trial. Give thanks to God for the church gathering work which he is doing. And so we come then to our second and final point. God does this work through us. The joy of faith which the Thessalonians had, the work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope, these things were recognized by other believers. Paul says in verse 7 that you, that's the Thessalonians, became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You know, this Thessalonian congregation, though they were so new to the faith, were showing the fruits of faith so clearly that they had become even an example to other churches in the area. That's what he says, you're an example to the other believers. And if you know something about the Christian scene at that time, some of these other churches could have been churches like Philippi or Berea or Corinth. The Thessalonian believers were being positive examples to these other congregations. Paul says it hasn't even stopped there. He says in verse 8, not only has the word of the Lord 
sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. The Holy Spirit had kindled such a fire in their hearts that it was plain to see and they were spreading the good news around. And you can picture in your mind with me you know, how much of an encouragement that could have been for the churches in the area. When they started to hear of the, the faith that the Thessalonians had and how that faith was working out in their lives and how they stayed strong in the faith even in the midst of affliction, wouldn't that have just been a wonderful blessing for other churches to hear? Would it not have driven them to continue in their lives of faith as well? And if you think of, of the church in the world today, you, know, you can't help but have examples coming to your mind of places in the world where the church is persecuted and yet the church is growing. Wherever it might be in, in, in China or other places in Asia or the Middle East or even Africa, believers there are persecuted physically and yet God continues to gather his church. He continues to work in those people. And rather than get rid of the faith, this persecution is increasing the faith. You know, how wonderful, isn't it, for us to see the power of God in gathering his church. But we shouldn't always have to go looking to a foreign country for such encouragement. Because what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians can be true of us as well. We here this morning can be that type of encouragement to the churches around us. The Thessalonians were examples to the believers just down the road, you could say, in Achaia and Macedonia. And so we too, congregation, in our lives of faith, we can be examples to our brothers and sisters around us. Wherever that might be, down the road in, in Fergus or in Guelph or in Arthur, we can live out our faith in such a way that other believers are encouraged and that these other believers even start to talk about, you know, the faith that we have. They'll say to one another, you know, have you heard of how God is, is working in the church of Alora? how he's gathering his people there. And maybe you're a bit curious about what that would, would look like. What sorts of things might we speak about? What sorts of things might other churches be excited to hear about? Well, here too, we can follow the example of the Thessalonians. And Paul points out three specific things in verses 9 and 10 of what other believers have heard about the church in Thessalonica. And so he says in verse 9 that he hears a report about the kind of reception that we had among you. The kind of reception, the way that the believers in Thessalonica received Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. And how were they received? Well, Paul speaks about it in chapter 1, but also in chapter 2, verse 13 gives this beautiful summary of what happened there. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, Paul again says that he thanks God constantly because when the Thessalonians received the word of God, they accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God. 
which is at work in you believers. And so also for us, congregation, can it be said of us that we receive the word of God every week again with joy? Can it be said of us that we receive the eldership with joy into our homes when they encourage us with the word of God? You know, do we delight in the leadership which God has given just so the Thessalonians receive these gospel ministers with joy? And the second thing that Paul says in verse 9, he hears that the Thessalonians have turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. This is another way that the Thessalonians were turning things upside down because in that culture, if you didn't worship idols, you were strange. And you were actually seen as a threat to society because you must worship idols to keep things going smoothly. But the Thessalonians turned away from their idols and they served only the one true living God. And so can it also be said of us, congregation, that we put away our idols? Can it be said of us that we put away the desire for, for wealth or for earthly pleasure? You know, do we flee from the sinful, fleshy desires that we have? Does it look like we are living a life which is upside down in the eyes of the world, when the world tells us just to do what you want and do what feels right, do we instead do what God wants and what God says is right? And then finally in verse 10, Paul hears that the Thessalonians wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And it's quite remarkable that here, too, the Thessalonians aren't afraid to speak of the wrath of God. They know that Jesus Christ is coming at the end of the age in judgment. And they know that God will carry out punishment on the unbeliever. He will send wrath upon them. And, of course, that's a terrifying thing for those who do not find their salvation in Jesus Christ. But for the Thessalonian believers, what a joy it was to know that even those who were afflicting them would be repaid for that affliction. What a joy for the Thessalonians to know that when Christ returns, they will be with him in glory and that they will be shown to be the, the just and the innocent ones. And so we too, congregation, need not fear speaking of the wrath of God and taking delight in it, and encouraging fellow believers with this truth that we hold dear. Now maybe you start to wonder how this is even all possible. You know, how can such an example of our congregational joy in the Spirit really be shown to other congregations? Well, it starts right here in the church, doesn't it? If the fire of our faith is going to spread abroad, then we need to kindle and, and encourage that fire in our midst here this morning. And that fire is in your heart because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. You have that desire to serve the Lord God. 
So live it out. Encourage one another in it. Serve one another. Work out your salvation, not to earn anything, but because of your great thankfulness to God for gathering this church and for continuing to preserve us in this place. And so we can speak to one another about the way God works in our life. We can speak to one another about how we love hearing the gospel, about how it transforms us, about how it gives us confidence that we are free from our sin before the throne of Jesus Christ. And we can speak to one another about how we are striving to put away those idols as we seek to serve the one true God in heaven. And when will you do this? Well, we can do it this morning. When we leave the sanctuary, we can do it in our homes. We can do it at night. Wherever you are, you can speak about the work that God is doing so that the word of the Lord might also sound forth from us. And so God is at work, congregation, through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is gathering, defending, preserving his church He has sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And so let us give thanks to God for this work which he is doing. And let us make this work of God known. So that also through us, God might continue his church gathering work. Amen.